Before we get started with today's episode, I want to tell you about SpotDraft. If you spend hours every week drafting and reviewing contracts, worrying about being blindsided by renewals, or if you just want to streamline your contracting process, let's talk about an end-to-end AI-powered system that'll save you time. SpotDraft is a contract lifecycle management system that helps in every stage of contracting, from creating and managing templates and workflows, to tracking approvals, e-signing, and reporting via an AI-powered repository, SpotDraft does it all. And because it should work where you work, it integrates with all the tools your team already uses. SpotDraft is the key that unlocks the potential of your legal team. Make your contracting easier today at SpotDraft.com. Welcome to The Abstract, a podcast where we interview some of the biggest voices in legal to uncover how they've grown in their careers, handled thorny challenges, and become leaders within the industry. For this episode, we've collected some of the most interesting stories and advice we've heard from our guests about building, leading, and scaling legal teams. It isn't just important for GCs to be great lawyers, they also have to be great managers to their teams. Today's episode is just a small sample of the helpful tips that we've picked up over the last two seasons. Let's begin by focusing on developing a strategy for your legal team. Before you begin the hiring process, you need to know which roles to hire for. David Lancelot has had a fantastic career building legal teams at eBay and QVC, and he's currently the chief legal officer at LawView. I asked him for his take on the best way to build a team of legal experts while also inspiring positive change within the company, and he had this to say. I think there's totally two sides to the coin to that change. Both sides involve trust. I think that the common thread there is building trust with other people, right, in the business, and and whether that's the lawyers or the uh, or the business people. I had the you know the the real honor and 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 you know I guess luck to have some really strong business leaders at eBay Classified who who and QVC. I mean they they gave me the opportunity to build something which was relatively innovative, an approach to to lawyering that was relatively innovative, and so. I build trust with you know, quantitative, factual reporting to mm-hmm. finance, strategy, um, and the CEO, mm-hmm. as well as just you know, working my butt off. Yeah. Right? Like we're proving your value, getting your seat at the table, owning your seat at the table, doing that requires an enormous amount of effort. And mm-hmm. you know, lawyers, that's easy for lawyers to do, right? That's all we do. We actually need to ramp that down, mm-hmm. right? And be like, okay, working as hard as you can all the time leads to burnout yes and it doesn't lead to effective management and acceleration of a business mm-hmm. so doing that having a vision going to your your business leaders and saying here's the metrics here's the numbers right here's the financial outlook here here's how it aligns with our strategy mm-hmm. right our business strategy really understanding that strategy and where we want to go i think another another thing is like to build trust with business people just enthusiasm yeah. Right? Like just straight up enthusiasm about the product. Mm-hmm. Right? Whatever you're doing, this is really cool. This is really interesting. Yes, I've had read the report on the competitive situation. Yeah. How can I know more? You know, can I come to the meeting? Great, come to the meeting. Of course you can't do that many times because you don't have time. Right? Sure. Because you're spending way too much time doing boring, repeatable, soul destroying work. Right? And so it's true. Part yeah. of the vision and the journey is how do we get rid of that so we can do more of this? 
right? Partnering with the business and, and really enjoying the wins and the losses, right? Learning from the losses and enjoying the wins. And then building trust on them. So then the other side of the coin is, okay, you've, you've, you've built enough trust with the business so that they will let you, you know, either spend more. From my perspective, it's usually just invest in a different way. Right. So you're talking about like, do we want to hire X more lawyers or spend X more on external counsel? Or do we want to bring in a legal operations leader? Mm -hmm. Right. Someone who's relatively senior. You always want to hire people smarter than you. Right. Somebody who knows better than you about the problem you're trying to tackle. So bringing in that ops leader, reinvesting in that, and then going to your team, right? And saying, like, the way I always set it up is this isn't about, and there's always fear. Fear, change, there's always fear. I mean, I have fear from change too. I've been through plenty of change and there's always that visceral, you know, fight or flight thing. But going to your team and saying, this is not, as I said twice already, this isn't about just being faster and cheaper, mm -hmm. right? This is about making your life better. Yes. You are, and I mean, lawyers in general, I think, are, I mean, not in general, they are incredibly smart, hardworking people who are also really creative. Right? They're almost like artists. A strong the, sense of, the of themselves, too. Yes, yes. And well, strong values. Strong values, strong ethical compass, yes. you know, etc. That's why we become lawyers, right? We have something in our background that says, you do this. They're super driven. They want to succeed. And, and you come to them and say, well, I'm going to take 40% of what you do and do it this way that's way faster and more effective. And the automatic reaction that I always see, almost always, is you're taking my job. Right. right. You're taking myself. Fear. Yeah. Which, you know, if you've built trust, there's less of that. But if you don't know the people that you're dealing with, right, they can, they can be that automatic reaction. And that is not the case. Clearly, like, I don't want to lose great people sure. because we're making things more effective and efficient. Right? I want those people to become the, the great, creative, innovative in-house lawyers that they can be and business leaders. Right? And I think the simplest piece of advice you could give is to anybody in business or otherwise is just trying to create that headspace. Right? Take a step back, open your mind a little bit to the possibility of doing things in a more modern and effective way. And I think if you I would also, I mean very practically, test case. That's what we did uh, with, with this contract management stuff is focus on a place where you can win. Right. And I think for us, it was the UK or Australia at the time. English language, they were all about it, very innovative environment. So we did it there, it worked great. And then they become your evangelist, right? right. Then they're like, oh, this works great. I have way less of that garbage. Everyone should be doing this. Everybody should Across be the whole business. Yeah. yeah. And then it just sort of goes from there. And, and we actually talked about this, I think, yesterday on the panel. Like the idea of reaching a tipping point where you get to a certain amount of the work is off your lawyer's place. They're having a good time partnering with their business, spending more time in meetings and offsites and understanding the strategy and becoming really, you know, strategic leaders. There's a time when that happens somewhere and somebody says, Oh, I get it. It's working. It's working. And for us, it was sort of like 40% of the volume is now off their plates, not 90%. Yeah, it's like, you know, that takes a long, long time, a lot of work. But 40% is off the plates-ish. And then I, we literally had people come to us and say, I've got some extra budget. I want to give it to you. That's amazing.
When Gary Spiegel was tasked with building a team of more than 20 lawyers at Anaplan in the run-up to their IPO, he prioritized his immediate needs, and then he drew on lessons learned from his time at Adobe. Yeah, so you know, I mentioned in the beginning, I was since I was the only person, I was doing a lot. So I would say the first hires were really geared around keeping me sane. <laughs> I'll be honest. <laughs> it was it was uh, a very interesting set of, or, or a very easy set of criteria for. Uh, <laughs> it, I I don't need to do this anymore, and I desperately need someone to do it. So let's hire right. that person. <laughs> right. And so actually, one of the first um, hires, since we were a broad international-based business, even as mm-hmm. a 150 to 200-person company, we had offices in 12 or 14 places. Wow. So having an EMEA understanding, an Asia-Pac understanding, and being able to do close to real-time business there uh, was important. So one of the first hires was an attorney um, – who could handle the EMEA business. Um, and we actually hired him in, uh, in Minnesota first because there was a still bulk was, um, was U S but we had enough EMEA so that we figured the time zone was a little better. And then we hired an EMEA attorney after that. Um, and so that was kind of how we, the first thing was very revenue contract based. Mm -hmm. Um, so it was very, I would say, reactive. I didn't have a great strategy there. I'll, I'll just to be candid. I, in hindsight, I'd probably think about doing things a little bit different in the sense that I think more about, which I did. I think at the next stage of hiring, more about multi-purpose players. You know, because then you're getting into the series D and E and F type of uh, scenario where you're not really sure exactly what you're going to need, but you need people who are flexible and can react quickly and and are willing to jump in on unknown things. Um, So for me, that was really important at that stage. And then as we got closer to the IPO, I knew that we needed specific skill sets. I knew we needed somebody who was dedicated uh, or knew a lot about privacy, knew a lot about product development, knew a lot about SEC reporting. You know, those types of things became more important. Um, so that's on the skills side, but I also really try it as a, as a manager with a growing team to be conscious of the fact that my experience in the past was I, I was very fortunate to have great managers along the way, people who were very understanding and forgiving if I made a mistake, um, and uh, people who were interested in my growth and my team and the team's growth as a whole. So that stuck with me. I always had, like, for instance, one of my managers at Adobe, he was always, every time we would talk about our weekly accomplishments and goals, he always would say, well, what did you get out of it? You know, did you, was it something that personally made you happy or what do you want to accomplish? It will be a personal achievement for you. You know, that was always part of it. Um, And I appreciated that. It wasn't just, here's the corporate objective. What are you doing? A, B, and C. Um, it's it's a you know it's a mutual relationship it's not a one way thing and then also at adobe i got to credit them they created the most fun environment i mean the group there we had these amazing offsite you know it could just be go out to dinner or it could be we had a couple of offsites where we went up to the seattle office you know as a group for the the team i was on um things like that just created this bond this culture this closeness, even though geographically we were spread out a little bit, 
um, it just felt like we were family in a lot of ways. It just felt so comfortable to work with that group. And I always wanted to recreate that uh, to the best I could. I don't feel like I was as successful at it as they were. <laughs> you know? um, but I think that was another thing was really understanding that I, I always would prefer hiring for people that make the workplace feel like a better place to be than just focus on the skills. Like make it where people want to be part of it, whether that's remote or in person, you know, that's, it doesn't really matter. You got to invest in building that kind of cultural tightness in your team. So those were things that I really, I probably uh, thought about that on the later side, particularly as we got into the public company side. Cause once you get into the public company side, I felt like it was more, we also had to focus on redundancy or uh, ability to scale at the right time, but not overspend on our hiring or like the hiring became much more tactical about, but you still have to hire the right fits, you know, for your team. But it was really like, you're more, cons I felt like we were more constrained because we were a public company and the GNA, you know, spend thresholds become more important. Lawyers often find themselves in situations where budgets are really tight. When he encountered this at Foursquare, Brian Chase searched for young professionals with the flexibility and cleverness to grow into what would become bigger roles. He's used the same approach to great success as the general counsel of Service Channel. Yeah, I think, I don't know if it's a good sign or a bad sign. It's probably a bad sign. I apparently <laughs> don't have enough negotiating abilities to get myself more budget. So for all of you who are out, who've been able to build out large legal teams, kudos to you. I always end up in the situation where I'm seen as a cost center and where I start out with the budget at the beginning of the year to get a general counsel or an associate general counsel or a corporate attorney that they then chop it and they have to figure it out. And so when I was at Foursquare, that was the type of situation is that I, I was definitely overwhelmed. And the one, there was just a lot of stuff going on and trademarks and just managing mm -hmm. contracts. And so I went to hire a, a trademark contract, a trademark paralegal with contract management experience. And the story I like to get, I like to share about this is, as I was hiring people, I had a long slate of, of candidates and it was an interesting time. This was 2012. I got for this job role, I got a lot of attorneys who applied for it. It was, it was mm -hmm. really interesting, but my third interview came in. And at the end of the interview, I asked the question, I was like, Hey, do you have any final questions for me? And her question was, uh, how do you handle constructive criticism from those who report to you? And hmm, that's a good and question. That, exactly. And I knew at that moment that I was going to end the rest of the, the interview process and offer her a job. We have now worked together for over a decade. And after a month of being at Foursquare, she had all the trademark stuff cleaned up and she had all the contracts organized and said, well, what else can I do? Mm -hmm. And so I said, hey, you interested in learning NDAs? So I taught her how to do NDAs. And then we moved to, I think it was co-promotion agreements and then to license agreements. And now she, I would say she manages 99% of our commercial contracts here. And it goes toe to toe with law firm trained or law school trained attorneys all the time. So here at Service Channel, I was looking for somebody to, to just help manage with the, the privacy program that we have mm -hmm. and hired a person with that focus, quickly saw that the, the woman that I hired had a lot more abilities than just tracking paperwork. 
Sure. And, and she now manages our privacy and compliance program. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I've been very lucky that the paralegals that I've hired have wanted to do much more than just the initial jobs. Mm-hmm. And but I, I feel I've it's been a great it's been fun for me as well though just to get to to see these individuals grow and learn and it teaches me as well because when you're teaching something the gaps in your understanding are become very apparent because uh-huh. when they ask a question and you say I don't know <laughs> it, it, <laughs> I, I I don't know everything I think I know. So I think it also improved my abilities and things as well. In the same conversation, Brian also shared his thoughts on the best place to find this sort of rock star candidate. I am a huge proponent for law school graduates to go to a law firm. Mm -hmm. I feel that my foundational experiences, the foundation that I have from my law firm days has assisted me in becoming the attorney that I am. So I generally would push people and say, hey, don't just go be the first general counsel at a startup, like go get that training. That said, there are individuals who are not law firm trained that will have skill sets that we can use, in particular in the world today where we're using so many different legal tools, different processes. Mm -hmm. There may be those who a legal minded person won't understand how to use that legal tool or to set up the back end of a of you know, of the rules and the workflows and those things, but somebody who is not a lawyer may. Mm-hmm. And and I've been lucky to find individuals who are like that. I hired an individual just this, this past winter who I hired to be a vendor compliance associate. So his his role was specifically to, to confirm that these contractors, uh, these plumbers, electricians, those who come into our network to be used by our customers, mm-hmm. that they have the proper certificates of insurance, the proper licenses, et cetera. And that was the role I had for him. But what we ended up having a situation where we needed a standard work put together and I didn't have time and my other two paralegals didn't have time. And I said, hey, will you put this together? And one of the cleanest, most detailed, structured standards work I've ever seen. So now I keep on having him do that. I just gave him (laughs) the one this morning. Like, because he has this skill set. And yes, he still has to do that other stuff because that's what he's hired for. But had I not hired him, I would have never found this person who is like a standard work machine, like mm-hmm. a, a process machine. And so I think you've got to be creative. And there may be people in other groups. You may be working with somebody in sales ops who is a little bit more interested. Maybe they want to help with initial creation of drafts of, of agreements. Mm-hmm. Maybe you could have them do it because you know, initial draft creation doesn't need really a lawyer if you're using your forms. So it, yeah. Especially if you're running lean like like I am, if I find anybody who is interested, they're going to get grabbed. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to find something for them to do. Hiring is a two-way street. As a hiring manager, you need to consider what you're looking for in a prospective employee, but you also need to understand what candidates are looking for in their prospective workplace. Akshay Verma offered an intriguing perspective on how to attract top talent in today's world. When we spoke on the podcast, Akshay was the director of legal operations at Coinbase, but he's since moved on to a COO role right here at SpotDraft. I have seen an incredible evolution in the priorities of law students and law grads, particularly over the last five years that I've been teaching. And I think even non-law student early stage professionals are are voicing this as well. surveys and data will, will reveal this as well. People care a lot more now about 
mental wellness, balance in their lives, whatever that means for them. I don't think it has to be even, even, you know, work life, like what the right balance is for you is important. Those kinds of priorities have taken over things like compensation, sure. right? Choice and autonomy matter a lot more. I think the pandemic, for all its ills, the pandemic has been a really good thing for professionals in whatever sphere they, they tend to work in, but particularly the, the, the legal profession in terms of the choice that they want over what they do, how they do it, when they do it. So to all the employers out there, whether you're hiring fresh grads or not, like you need to create an employee experience to be competitive. And that has to do with more than just your compensation and your stock pack, your, your stock option packages and so forth. There's an element of that that is incredibly highly prioritized, particularly by these law students. And you hear it from them as we engage in this material. Mm-hmm. So you hear about it from their values. Yep. It'd be a, those have changed. I hear. I used to hear a lot about success and money, right? Values, mm-hmm. which I had when I was a law student. <laughs> uh, and now it's more family and time and autonomy and happiness. I just think that's a great thing for human beings. So, Adam Glick, VP of Legal Affairs and Corporate Secretary at Front, also recognizes that building a high-performing legal team isn't just about hiring great individual lawyers. Instead, you need to develop a team that's responsive to the evolving needs of your organization. Here's how he prioritizes hiring in his legal department. Yeah, it's challenging. So for me, what I've done in the past when I come into a new role is I really think about building out some form of what's called a 30, 60, 90 day plan. There's other terminology mm-hmm. for it, but something similar like that, just to help guide and prioritize your time. Just have a list of what you want to accomplish during those time periods because you're jerking through that proverbial fire hose. And you need to stay sure. disciplined. You can get pulled in so many different directions. So it's critical to stay disciplined and make sure you have a plan of attack. And I guess my initial focus when I started is really based on three different principles or three different concepts. The first one is make sure you delve deeply into the business and the product and understand yeah. the business and the product. It's just so important to understand where the business is trying to go and the product that they've built. And then number two, understand the strategic initiatives for the business, right? What is the business trying to accomplish? What are their goals? What are their objectives over the next two quarters, four quarters, six quarters, whatever time frame you can ascertain from speaking to other leaders within the business? Because you're going to focus your efforts mm-hmm. and energies on ensuring that you're helping move the company forward with those objectives and goals. And then the third one that I think is really important as well is You need to focus on meeting people across the organization to start building relationships. We keep talking about relationships, yeah, as well as understanding what's working for them and what are some of the challenges that they're facing when they have legal issues to overcome. How have they successfully worked through legal issues in the past? Have they actually worked through legal issues or have they avoided them? That's something that you should know as well. Again, build those relationships. Take detailed and copious notes to the extent you can, because there's going to be so much coming at you and you need to really capture it and be able to recall it as you think through how you're going to even prioritize over those first few quarters that you're there. And then once you understand the business and where it wants to go and what you need to focus on in order to build those partnerships and provide those services, start to consider where you need to put resources. This is assuming you have headcount and hopefully you do because the business is growing and you need to be able to keep up. As an example, if the business is very transactional in its nature, perhaps your first hire is going to be a commercial counsel to help you negotiate all those contracts. 
or if the business is very product oriented and builds complicated products for large customers, perhaps you consider someone with product and maybe privacy experience, especially if you're processing or you have a lot of data from your customers and you need someone that can help you think through the complexities of the product and all the privacy implications of the data. And you can partner, you can hire that person and they can partner very closely with the product and engineering team. Or your business may be highly regulated and maybe you need someone to bring, that you bring in with applicable regulatory and compliance experience. You've really mm-hmm. got to understand the needs and wants of your business and then determine how you're going to prioritize hiring. You may even be focused on a particular geo outside the U.S. as an example. If you're doing a lot of business in the EU, maybe your first mm-hmm. hire is someone in the EU because I'm sitting out here in California. If we're doing 75% of our business in the EU, yeah, maybe I go hire someone to go sit in London or some other European country who can be there and give me the eight hours of time zone coverage when I'm sleeping to help accelerate sure. all the work that we need to do. I think that's really important to think through as well. And then I guess one last thing to consider is be thorough, but be quick in your decision-making as you're going through this analysis. Don't overanalyze and waste too much time deciding where to put your resources. Because it's going to take you a while to find the right person. You really want to find the right person that's going to fit within your culture and that you're going to mesh with. And if your business is growing quickly, you need to move fast. The last thing you want is to become a blocker because the legal work will just continue to accelerate for your company and you don't have enough people on your legal team to be able to support it. And you're slowing down the growth of the business. I think that's something you need to consider as well. Just like Akshay, Adam also recognizes the importance of wellness and emotional intelligence when it comes to identifying great candidates and stacking your legal team with all-stars. I really focus on some particular criteria when I'm hiring people. First of all, do they have some level of subject matter expertise for what I've identified as a need? As an example, are they commercially oriented? Are they product oriented? Or... And there's a, this is a big or, or mm-hmm. do they have the ability to learn it pretty quickly because they're interested in doing it? That's the first thing I think about. And then the next thing I consider is, are they problem solvers? Are they solution-based lawyers? Can they be creative and figure out workarounds for some of the sticky legal issues that are going to come up over time as they mm-hmm. advise and counsel the business? Because that is really important, especially when you're a a small and nimble startup, can they provide legal advice, but can they also evaluate creative ways to help the business overcome some of these legal hurdles? He's telling the business, you just can't go down that path. It's against the law. That's, that's, that is not the right answer. And that's not going to be a successful answer. You're going to get a lot of blowback from your business. If you're hearing that about people you hire, so you need to think about risk. You need to think about creativity and helping the business figure out another path. That's just so vitally important. And then last, but definitely not least, for me, does this person have not just a high IQ, but a really high EQ? Mm-hmm. And what I mean is, can that approach, can this person build relationships? We've talked about relationships throughout the podcast. Can yeah. that person build those relationships both personally and professionally? Again, they're building the professional relationship with their internal client. But can they build that personal relationship? Can they divulge what's going on a little bit in their personal life so they can bond with their internal client? Can they create a relationship that is going to help them accelerate their professional relationship with the client? Is the person relatable? 
And if you find someone that has experience or is hungry to learn and is a creative problem solver, I think that's just a great addition to your legal team. And, and it's funny, one of the things that I liked to do, it's a little bit harder now that we've moved to more of a remote environment, is I get through the interview process and I identify a candidate. And sure, we've interviewed and we've had conversations and we've talked about how you evaluate risk and we've talked about indemnities and we've talked about privacy or employment, whatever it may be. But then mm-hmm. in the end, when I've identified a candidate I really want to hire, what I like to do is I like to tell that candidate, you're great. I'd love to meet you for a coffee. Let's go grab a coffee. Let's sit down and yeah. just see how we work. Let's see how we interact. Let's see how we talk. Tell me a little bit about yourself. Let me tell you a little bit about myself because we're going to be spending a lot of time together. It's a little bit harder now that COVID has come and people aren't working in the same area or going into the office. But I think that's a, just a really helpful sort of last step in hiring or making a formal offer. But building your legal team is just the first step. How do you show up as a manager to let the lawyers who work for you thrive in their roles? As general counsel at Seismic, Selena Powder learned that the best way for her to lead is through coaching and guidance. We are not fonts of infinite time and energy. When I joined, a lot of it was frankly brute force. I needed to prove to the business mm-hmm. that something worthwhile, but that was a that was a tough year and it was a lot of time and energy trying to tackle a lot of different things by just saying yes a lot. Uh, but mm-hmm. you are absolutely right. Everyone can believe in me and can love me, but I am not in all rooms. I now have a team of eight on the legal side and another eight on the security mm-hmm. side. And so that trust needs to extend from me down. And I think a lot of that comes from coaching. I take bets on people who are talented, who show a lot of potential, and I invest mm-hmm. in them. And so for me, coaching is a daily thing. It is, it's not necessarily a quarterly, let's sit down and have a two hour coaching conversation. It's the being available to ask questions. Hey, how do I navigate this? Or, hey, do you mind if you? I send you a draft of this response so you can give me feedback to being on a call, things getting a little hot and me shooting a Slack message or seeing the emails get a little spicy and saying, hey, take a lap. <laughs> you need to cool down, take a lap. Lawyers can run yeah. a little bit. And we get, we get maybe defensive when people challenge our advice and our opinions. And so a lot of my coaching revolves around, look, ask them for their perspective. Ask what they are thinking about, engage with them, educate, really explain the why and why you have this lens. Just because somebody is questioning if that's the right thing to do, it doesn't mean that they are questioning you personally. It's that they have a different perspective and they're weighing the pros and cons in a way that's different than you. And by the way, their their, their weight that they apply might be correct. We might have a, a lens that isn't necessarily always going to be the correct lens for every problem. That doesn't mean it's not a valuable lens. It doesn't mean we can't add a different perspective, but this is a collaborative process. Coming to decisions on big ticket items requires a lot of back and forth. And so I work really closely with my team on all sorts of things. And I think the success behind that comes from a place of openness and a place of opportunity. I talk to my team all the time and I tell them one of the greatest gifts we can give in our department is the opportunity to fail. And I truly believe that. I think 
opportunity to fail, to give somebody a shot at something, allow them to make a mistake and go try it again is incredible. And I think that's how a lot of people learn. That's how I've learned. That's how a lot of folks on my team have seen success. And so that's always where I start. Sometimes managing means stepping away and empowering your legal team members to tackle opportunities that will help them learn, grow, and lead themselves. In my conversation with a Ways General Counsel, Lydia Chuck, we discuss strategies for motivating and retaining talent. That's a good question. I think about it a lot. I think there's a few things. For me, I provide my team with a lot of autonomy because I think that's what people want, right? So, I mean, I can also do that because they're amazing, right? Like, they do great work. They're very committed to the company. They're very good professionals. And most of them are, I mean, I also don't have people on my team who it's their first job out of college, like that kind of thing. So I think providing autonomies, if you can, is invaluable to employees. They also, for the most part, get to work completely remotely, which is <laughs> not true. That's not true of all the other teams at a way. But to me, that's a retention lever. And also something that I always try to offer is the opportunity to learn and to do new kinds of work. So I always say, even when interviewing or recruiting for my team, I always say we decide on what the role is working on. It's based on two things. One is the needs of the business, but two mm -hmm. is what are you interested in doing, right? So it's both of those things. I also asked Lydia for her opinion on the best way to establish a unified culture, not just in your department, but across the wider organization. I mean, we talked about it much more in the past, but they've been together with me for a while, right? But I think I've been very clear, and I think they agree, like, how are we going to show up? So how do yeah. we show up to the rest of the organization? So obviously within our team, like, we're total safe space, but I think I've made my expectations extremely clear as to, like, how we should, you know, show up to the rest of the organization. And it's not a problem because it's what they want as well, I think, which is we will always be helpful. We are always business first. We will be your thought partner. We will help you come up with a creative solution. And I think being business first is number one, really important. But number two, mm -hmm. I think sometimes other teams find that refreshing because sure. they've had experience with maybe legal teams at other jobs they've had where they haven't felt that. One final story before we go. The pandemic brought frightening new challenges and uncertainties to people all around the globe. Seth Weissman had to navigate the best way to build culture and manage his more than 50 employee legal team at Marquetta. Faced with such a challenging environment, Seth chose to lead with compassion. I think fintech, SolarSet had, had its own challenges. Fintech was harder because again, it was completely make it up as you go along. It was very much a new industry and it was on fire, mm -hmm. like just blowing up. It was also COVID. Yeah. You know, none of us had done, talk about being comfortable with the uncomfortable. Sure. Um, you know, how to build, you know, relationships and trust and be vulnerable this way. This was unheard of to lead team meetings. Yep. And I think I just went back to the basics, which is trust is the foundation of all human relationships, mm -hmm. right? The precursor to trust is psychological safety, knowing mm -hmm. that you can be a version of your authentic self, 
say what you're going to say, do what you're going to do, make mistakes and be human. Mm -hmm. And the way you build psychological safety, the precursor to that is being personally vulnerable. Now, you don't tell people about your health concerns. As a leader, you don't say, you don't share, hey, you know, you can't believe this health issue I'm having. My doctor (laughs) said, no. (laughs) Hey, I'm not perfect either. Hey, I'm concerned or I'm challenged by this too. Mm -hmm. Right? And I'm human like you. And that creates the psychological safety, which creates the trust, which creates the team. And so I went back to those principles, which had been drilled into me, having been coached for 20 years mm-hmm. and having read all the coaching materials and sort of the books that really formed my understanding of what leading was. If you start with those basic principles, most things will follow from that. Back to right. the unique selling proposition. Come here. I'll invest in you. And it was really hard at Marketa because it was, you know, we were building an IPO-ready company as a distributed workforce across the country. And, you know, there wasn't a template for how to do this again. I hope you've enjoyed these conversations as much as I have. Thank you for listening to The Abstract. Make sure to subscribe to get notified as soon as we release new episodes. And if you're an in-house legal leader tuning into our show, I'd love to know. What do's and don'ts have you learned from building, leading, and scaling legal teams? Let's start a conversation. Share your stories and expertise using hashtag the abstract and tag us on LinkedIn. We'll add links in the description or just drop a comment below. See you all next week.